Um, let's. You want to take a look at this? Uh, I, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Um, we're, Molnaparavir? Yeah, Molnaparavir. Okay, okay. That's, uh, that's the new drug that Pfizer's, Pfizer's coming out with. Yeah, it's new COVID treatment. Yeah, the COVID that's, treatment, which okay. to me says that the vaccine mandates can go the fuck away. If you have a treatment. It's not the agenda, but yes. <laughs> no, it's not the agenda. But if, on, a, if, on a rational basis. On a rational, yeah. On yeah. A, on a, like, let's think about this as human normal people would. Oh, if you have a treatment for it. I don't need to be vaccinated against it. So, uh, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who is a former uh, FDA commissioner. Yes. He recently said of this drug, I can't pronounce, the, the Pfizer. Of course, we can't pronounce any of the damn yes. drug names because I told you they throw shit on a Scrabble board. Right. They, scroll th- they throw Scrabble tiles on a pool table and whatever it spells, when they throw it out there, the letters, <laughs> that's the name of the drug. So, he said that um, this new Pfizer product is the, quote, the end of the pandemic, close quote. So... I don't know if you you remember this, but I remember that the vaccine was originally the end of the pandemic. Well, that, if, that if, was the pitch, right? Correct. But see, Fauci has purposefully moved the, the goalpost yeah. every time. So initially, he said it was if sixty percent get vaccinated, I think it was sixty or fifty six percent get vaccinated, we're good. And then it was seventy something, and then it was eighty something, and then it was ninety. It's constantly moving. Yeah. And never, like you'll never reach it. You'll never succeed. And of course, uh, for reasons we're going to get into shortly, um, if 100% of the population was vaccinated, it would still not end uh, what they call a pandemic. By the way, I, I think we're at like, as far as the U.S. death toll, we're at like 2.1 tenths of 1%. Okay. Um, so by the earlier World Health Organization definition of pandemic, uh, this would not qualify as a pandemic. Not only that, but the average age of death is older than the average age of death for normal people in the U.S. Yeah, just outside the It's the, like the 70, context, 77 you know? years old or whatever, 76 years old, and the average age of death is 74. Yeah. So average life expectancy for a, a human in the United States is like yeah. 74 years. And of course, Pfizer is saying that uh, their new uh, COVID treatment pill mm-hmm. Uh, reduces hospitalizations and death by 90%. Now, the UK... Where did we hear that before? Right. The, <laughs> the UK has already signed contracts to have a massive amount of this new Pfizer drug. Of course they the have. Uh, here, just shortly, within the next week or two, it's going to be evaluated for emergency use authorization by the FDA. I think it's important to note that Pfizer's claims, uh, its data that, that it claims supports its number of 90%, um, have not been this provided post. to anyone they've not been published no it is merely pfizer making a claim so um we know that historically pfizer has actually been fined hundreds of millions of dollars for falsifying trial data information on drugs yes uh we also know you remember this um the first claims of pfizer concerning its mrna vaccine for sars-cov-2 was 90 percent efficacy at preventing infection i mean right okay um, and then we found out that that wasn't remotely true in the real world. No, it was, re- it was true for the first day on the first hour you got the <laughs> vaccine. Yeah. The first day in the first hour that you got your second dose, yeah. you were 90%. Yeah. After that, it started to wane. I knew we were in trouble. And I, you probably saw the story since you do work in hospitals in Vegas. This goes back quite a few months now. Um, there was a pool party of hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I highlighted on my show. Okay. So, uh, 11 of the participants ended up testing positive after that pool party. Yeah, but eight of them had a vaccine. Eight of them were vaccinated. vaccinated. (laughs) Right, right, right. So, yeah, do the math on that shit, right? Well, here's my question. Why did we not look at the person who wasn't? There was one person who didn't get COVID. Yeah. Why didn't we look at them? What's the difference? Why didn't they fucking get it? Dude, you, you why, why are we not looking at the people? Like, I have family members that have got COVID, and, like, her fat husband didn't get COVID. Yeah. She did, and she's, they slept in the same bed. Yeah. She was she was breastfeeding her child. She had just had a kid, still breastfeeding her baby, and her other young son was there at home doing his thing. No one else in the family got it. But she got it, and she had a really bad case of it. She didn't go to the hospital, but she felt really sick. Yeah. She didn't get monoclonal antibodies. She didn't get any ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine to treat her. She just sucked it up like a good Wyoming girl does and dealt with it. 
But guess what? Nobody was like, let's look at her husband and find out why he didn't get it. Yeah. What is the difference in his DNA? What is the difference in his blood? What's what's different? Why didn't he get it? What makes that difference? Because if we could identify that, yes, then you could go through a group of people and say, okay, this person won't get it. This person now we could identify what it's truly attacking. Yeah, innate immunity. Right. Yeah. All right. So let's shift because this is going on and on and on, which I love. I but, love it. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I'll share with the audience something I shared with Tyler, which is <laughs> I'm real. I was really excited to do this because um, I do vodcasts. In other words, there are video presentations, and the audio part goes up on the podcast side. So because of video presentations, video audiences don't want an hour long content. Um, so I have to keep things very short. So this is a luxury to sit here with my friend, the long form and, and, and kick around subjects. We both feel passionately about for essentially as long as it takes. Right. You're, you got to hand over a button. Are, are you about oh, to no, go out? No, I just going to start playing. We'll go to commercial for a minute okay. and then we'll start this next section. Okay. Does that sound good to you? Yeah. Great. All right, cool. Medically unbiased. And we're back to another section of Medically Unbiased, hanging out with my friend Dave Champion. You can find all of his information at drreality.news. You can go to his website, you can buy his book, uh, Body Science. It's all about how to live a better life. It gives you a lot of information, the physiology behind what. Uh, is making your body do what it's doing and how food affects your body, uh, how fat isn't really the enemy, how cholesterol isn't that big of a problem. I mean, it really goes into the science, true in-depth science that we've known for years that other doctors and other people have researched, but it's, uh, it's fascinating. You should really check it out. So before I get back with Dave here, I want to talk to you about HVAC. You need to have, oh, there's a dog barking. You should really check out your air conditioning. So my buddy, Forrest, if you're in Arizona, you need to contact Grizzly Mechanical. Grizzly Mechanical will take care of all of your needs in Phoenix, in the Phoenix area. They will take care of all your HVAC needs. Give them a call, grizzlymechanical.com or grizzlyac.com. You can go to either site. They'll get you set up, get you ready to roll with all of your HVAC needs. And it's a good time to do it now because get your stuff ordered. The supply chain is kind of a mess, so it's hard to get all your AC equipment. It might be months. Order it now when it's cool. Order it now when it's less expensive. Do it before it's 110 degrees in Phoenix. So call my friend Forrest, and uh, he'll get you taken care of. We're back with Dave. What's up, Dave? Okay, I'm going to start this out by reading something, if you don't mind, because uh, I tend to ramble, but when I write, I'm much more succinct. Oh, okay. And this should give the audience uh, a complete framework in which to understand the conversation that comes thereafter. Okay. So this was actually written to a friend of mine. Okay. So bear that in mind. There's a couple comments here that seem perhaps like I'm speaking to somebody, and I am. <laughs> okay. It says this, sometimes I know something is so, even if I've not, sorry, I'm trying to read around the microphone. Um, sometimes I know something is so, even if I've not yet uncovered the mechanism. I've been saying the reason the vaccines don't activate production of memory T cells is because all the vaccines produced is a as an S-spike protein, which is a far cry from a complete viral pathogen. Absent having the complete pathogen from which to build a, quote, profile, there is no way for the body to create memory T cells. That process requires complete pathogen data. A fragment is insufficient. Turns out the complete antigen is taken up into B cells where the antigen is broken into MHC2 peptide complexes and, quote, recognized, thus establishing the aforementioned profile. 
that profile is transmitted to CD4 T cells, which we know differentiate into various types of T cells, including memory T cells. As you've probably read, what causes a CD4 T cell to differentiate into memory T cells is, quote, poorly understood, close quote. Not to me. A CD4 cell only differentiates into a memory T cell after a B cell transmits a pathogen profile to the CD4 T cell. Absent the existence of a pathogen profile, there is zero need for the body to produce memory T cells. So the CD4 T cells differentiate into other non-memory versions. A pathogen profile is the key that activates production of memory T cells. This process is built to work from a complete profile. A fragment fragment won't trigger the production. While creating a pathogen profile is the job of the B cells, creating a record of which types of T cells were differentiated in order to overcome the pathogen is the job of the dendritic cells. All of this data is eventually transferred to and retained by memory T cells. However, if there is insufficient pathogen profile data in the form of NHC2 peptide complexes from which to signal CD4 cells to differentiate into memory T cells, there is no location in which to store any of the data. And then I go on to talk about the the understanding of why MHC peptide tetramer staining technology is the only type of technology that actually proves the existence of memory T cells and why the... um, Industry-funded studies that claim the vaccines produce memory T-cells don't use MHC peptide tetramer staining technology because it will prove straight up, thumbs up or thumbs down, whether those memory T-cells exist. Right. All the studies that claim memory T-cells exist have never touched that technology. All of their conclusions are implied or inferential so for instance they'll find interleukin 2 and they'll say well interleukin 2 is highly associated with uh, cd8 and cd4 t cells so there must be memory must t cells. Be. Must be yeah no no <laughs> science doesn't work that way well it does now yeah so it's, it's the way i want it to work so therefore it works that way yeah so i guess the the takeaway i know that was people were kind of going what did what? he just say yeah there's a lot of science in that in that Four paragraphs, there's yeah. a lot of science in there. So I think the important thing is this. Um, depending on how you look at the anatomy of a virus, there's someplace between 16 to 19 um, individual characteristics of the anatomy of a virus that, that cumulatively render that virus unique. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's like, almost like a fingerprint, if you will. And what happens is the B cells actually absorb a whole virus. And then they take that virus and they break it down to the MHC uh, peptide complexes, which the way I, I, I'm hoping to characterize it to people is that it's like creating, it's, it's like digitizing something. Right. Okay. So I've got this, this here that's not digital, but, but I want to store this in a way that's meaningful. So I'm going to digitize it. Okay. So that's kind of the analogy I'm using to what the B cells do when they break the virus apart and they create these MHC to peptide complexes. Mm-hmm. They're digitizing the data. That That's the analogy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then storing that data. Well, they don't store it. They actually transmit it to the CD4 T cells. Which uh, then store it. It, it. Well, the CD... Now, I want to be clear that the part I'm saying now mm-hmm. is uh, my hypothesis, which I'm 1,000% confident is 100% correct. Okay. Okay. I want to be clear. It's a hypothesis, but it's so obvious. It's like right. to call it a hypothesis is almost like, really? The earth round. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's not completely round. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so anyway, um, what happens is the B cells transmit the data set mm-hmm. over to the CD4 T cells. Um, the CD4 T cells differentiate into different kinds of T cells, but um, the absolutely certain hypothesis has that right. um, is that CD4 T cells only differentiate into memory T cells 
after they've received the data set from the B cells. Makes sense. Well, that's, okay. That has to be that way. Otherwise, you're, you're not creating the CD4 cell. Well, why would you need a memory C cell if you don't have any data? Right. Right. Okay. So I don't need the storage space if I don't right. have anything to store. <laughs> yeah. So if you don't, if you don't, in, in this pathogen profile, that that's another term I created in order to help illustrate to people the the, the everybody understands the profile. Right? right. Right. They go on Facebook, they create a profile. profile. So the this data set that I'm I'm talking about that the the B cell breaks it down into the MHC two peptide uh, complex. Mm-hmm. That data set. Um. Is, is the profile. It's the pathogen profile, but it's based on uh, the B cell consumes or takes into itself the entire virus. That's what, yeah, exactly. That's why the people who have already been infected have a better immunity than the people who had a vaccine. Yes. So what happens is um, that fingerprint mm-hmm. of the virus then gets transmitted to the, four, the CD4 T cell, and the CD4 T cell says, ah, this is the pathogen profile that, that a memory T cell needs. So it then differentiates into a memory T cell. Okay. Okay. Pretty straightforward stuff in my opinion. Yeah. Even though science is a little, I hate to say this sounds arrogant as hell. Uh, science is a little bit behind me on this. Right. Um, and I don't mean they're behind me. I mean. They're, they're behind you. Yeah. Behind you. I'm, I'm ca- they're, they're not catching up fast enough. How's that? Right. Um, so. That's the first part of the equation. The second part of the equation is that the dendritic cells, they keep track of which forms of T cells, the the base T cells, the CD8s, and the CD4s, which forms they differentiate into, effector T cells, killer T cells, memory T cells, and so forth, uh, of which there's... There essentially... With subsets, there's like 20. They're essentially the Rolodex. Yes. So the, the dendritic cells... They keep track of that differentiation. Okay, how did how did that structure work? How many killer T cells did we have? Uh, how many effector T cells did we have, and so forth? Okay, but then guess what? The dendritic cells also provide that information to the CD4 T cells. Okay, so these redundancy. So the memory CD4. I'm sorry. The the after the CD4 differentiates into the memory T cell, the memory T cell create. Uh, uh, maintains not only the pathogen profile, but also the structural profile of how the body responded to defeat the pathogen. Okay. So it's got the equation and it's got the profile. Right. Okay. So it's got the problem and the solution. Correct. Great way to put that. Okay. So here's the problem with the vaccines. And I think this is really critical for people to understand. What the vaccine does, the the uh, mRNA vaccine, it um, also... All, to digress for one second, the hilarity of all of this is that no one gave a shit about any of this until this pandemic. Oh, right, right, right. Um, Average person, I mean. Yeah. People so, did. We did. We were nerds. Yeah. But so, a lot of people didn't. Like the Azteca thing, it, it does the same thing as the RMA, but it starts with the DNA. Okay. <laughs> right. But for people, I'm, I'm not going to go too into depth to this, but what happens is the, the vaccine enters one of your cells... And it uh, it signals something called transcription. And so what happens is inside the cell, your own cell's genomes produce a part of the virus. Okay? That's, that's how these vaccines work. And the part of the virus that they produce in this particular case with this particular coronavirus is the S-spike protein. You've probably all seen that in the news. So now we've got this S-spike protein. And a law, and that does engender a response of neutralizing antibodies okay. with the same yes. spike protein. Yes, um, and you know the the now when these B cells take up the pathogen, it's not the virus. It's not that fingerprint. It doesn't have that fifteen, sixteen, eighteen, nineteen points of interest. Different in unique factors. Mm-hmm. It's only one of those. It's a spike protein, period. Correct, which is not very, enough to identify. It's very narrow, very narrow spectrum. So uh, here's where things get a little fuzzy, and I'm, I'm sure research could clear it up. Because there is not really a pathogen profile, there's just a tiny fragment of what should be there, Does B, do B cells actually transmit the information to the memory T cells? We don't have that information right now. Mm, no, but we can make the hypothesis that it doesn't because it 
the well, efficacy wanes over time. Well, even if it did, it may be a case that the uh, CD4 T cells say, dude, that's not enough data for us to differentiate into memory T cells. Right. But that's what I'm saying. Maybe they don't eat, maybe none of it even operates that way. Right. So my point is, where does the breakdown occur? Is it, right. is it that the B cells say, I don't have enough data to transmit? Or is it right. the CD4 cells say, I haven't received, during that transmission, I didn't receive enough data to react on? Right. Okay. Almost like in a broken phone conversation, you're going through a tunnel and yeah. all you hear is, hey, can you help me? But that's it. So all you know is that someone needs help. You don't know where they are, right. what they're doing, what's wrong. What yep. the problem is? What help do they need? Do they need help with a math problem or are they dying? Like, what's the help that they're looking for here? So, neutralizing antibodies, I, I mentioned a moment ago that the spike protein does engender a, uh, a neutralizing antibody response from the body's immune, the adaptive immune process. Um, that's very natural, very normal. Our bodies typically do that all the time to various pathogens if they're considered pathogenic. Um, so, but but neutralizing antibodies in their very nature are temporary. Why? Because of memory T cells. <laughs> right. You you don't need to, to produce it. and have circulating in your bloodstream neutralizing antibodies all the time because neutralizing antibodies, their job is to go out and, and kick ass and defeat the pathogen, right? Right. So once that's done... Learn how, to, learn how to beat it and remember how to beat it so that later yes. they can beat it if it comes back. Yes. And you can marshal all those resources in the snap of a finger later. Right. Okay. So the neutralizing antibodies, once they do their job, once the pathogen has been defeated, they fade. It is absolutely, they don't turn off like a light switch. They just fade away. Right. Okay? The macrophage function of the body, it, it eventually consumes them. And there are certain kinds of T cells that actually uh, diminish the effect of neutralizing antibodies over time, because otherwise you might develop a negative immune response if they continue to be uh, if they continue to react strongly to something that isn't present. Right. Okay. Or start to consume you. <laughs> yes. So eventually they fade away. Uh, it's very common that neutralizing antibodies fade away someplace between four and eight months. Depends on the pathogen. Depends on the person. And so forth. There is no hard and fast rule for that. Now, four four to eight months. Huh. Uh, what the average there are six, which coincidentally happens to be just about the point where you need a booster. Very little protection from the neutralizing, uh, very little protection from the vaccine. The based mRNA, on quote unquote, vaccine. Yes, quote unquote. <laughs> so the reason for that is the the body. It's the body that creates the spike, right. and it's the body that creates the neutralizing antibody response to the spike, and it's the body's. Uh, neutralizing antibodies that defeat the spikes that destroy them. Okay, uh, all that is totally natural. As is this thing that now the public knows as waning, right? Okay? Uh, which is just nothing more than fading away. Right. Okay. So then it fades away, and the immunity, such as it is, um, the nat- neutralizing antibodies, they fade away. With that, uh, you. If, let's say they faded away to zero, just for the point of illustration. Right. Uh, people would be just as prone to infection as if they'd never been vaccinated, and they'd be just as prone to um, uh, moderate or severe COVID as as if they'd never been vaccinated. Because their body will not build an immune response to it because it doesn't know it needs to. No memory T cells to do that with. Right. right. So every single shot is a temporary fix is really what it boils down to. Because to me, this is just like the flu. You have to have a flu, quote unquote, vaccine every year. That's a fucking therapeutic. That's not a vaccine. Now, what happens is when these vaccine neutralizing antibodies wane, they don't wane 100%. I use that only for illustrative examples. Correct. So they they wane to say 60% or 48% or 39%. We've heard- But that's that's only numbers we have. We don't know- Further than that. Correct. And we've heard, because we haven't been further than that. And we've heard differing numbers from all over the globe. Correct. Okay. So Correct. so we don't know whether it's 60, 40, 33, 24. You know, <laughs> right. You know. Uh, we know it's nowhere near... Uh, 95 that yeah. was promised. Yeah. It was never 100% at best. On, on the best day, of the best circumstances, it was 95%, and then it begins to wane. Correct. Um, I speed saw one, is different for everybody. I saw one study that said they start to wane in a, at a noticeable level by two and a half months. Okay. Okay. Um, by six months, you don't have much protection left. That's right. just the reality. And it would be that way with your 
with your body based on the uh, natural infection from the wild virus. Okay, correct. No difference in that but, regard. But the difference is the difference is you would have a memory from the wild virus. Correct. And you, this doesn't build a memory. Yes. So this creates an interesting dilemma. So somebody goes out and they get they get the vaccine. I think. If we were to line up 100 people who had been vaccinated and ask that 100 people, how many of them thought that after they had their, uh, initially, after they mm-hmm. had their second shot, they were protected for life, um, they, like 99% of them would say yes. At the time, yes. Yes. Okay. They thought they were, two shots, I'm protected. I'm I, good. I felt like I had a bullet. I was walking into rooms without masks on. Fucking, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wasn't doing that. <laughs> Oh, I was just reading an article today where people were saying that. Now, you know, now that I'm vaccinated, I'm, I'm getting back to my life. But the problem is that six months later, you don't have very much protection left. And if, if you didn't choose a booster by eight or nine months, I mean, we, we right. haven't even seen the figures on that. Nobody's talking about that. No. But if you don't have the booster and you get to eight, nine, ten months, I mean, you're... I'm there now. What, whatever protection exists would have to be like, you know, eight percent, nine percent. So I had the Moderna okay. vaccine. I got both shots, obviously. I was fully vaccinated, which I hate that term because either you are or you're not. Yeah. Either you've received the vaccine, which is a serious, like you can't, a hep B vaccine is three different doses over the course of months. Yeah. Okay. It's not weeks. It's not, it's months. Yeah. So you're not vaccinated against hep B unless you've been through all three of the shots. Yeah. It's, it's a staged process. Correct. Yeah. So this just needs to, this whole half vaccinated bullshit needs to stop. That narrative needs to go away. Yes. But I received Moderna in January. I received my first dose and a December second dose in January. So we were one of the first ones to get it. We worked in the hospital. Sure. The irony is the CEO was the first person to get the dose in that hospital. The CEO of Mountain View Hospital was the first person to get the dose at Mountain View Hospital. He doesn't see patients. Right. He doesn't treat patients. He's a business guy. He He has an MBA. He might have just been trying to set an example. You never know. At the time, there was only so many doses and only so people could get them. Ah. I'm just saying that if you're the businessman, the example you said is, I want my people who treat patients to be protected, not save me. Right, right. Like, to, I looked at it when he got that vaccine as he was pushing women and children out of the way to save his own ass on the lifeboat as the right, right. as the Titanic sank. Like he was the dude, I'm going to help people and shoving people in the fucking ocean while <laughs> so he, he saved could get himself. the lifeboat, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how I viewed it and I still think of it that way cuz I don't really care. But <laughs> my point is is that I'm now, it's now December, November, almost December. I'm 11 months since my second dose. So I'm due for, and I've been messaged and they've sent, the hospital <laughs> sent me an email and a, and a text and another email and a follow-up email about getting my booster because I fit in the criteria for boosters. They've made a criteria based on if you work with high risk, you know, in a high risk environment. And while I work in a high risk environment, I work in a hospital. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not getting a booster. Well, you know, CDC has been threatening to change its definition of fully vaccinated. They already did. Oh, did they? Yes. Well, somehow I missed that story. From two two shots to three shots. Oh, they haven't switched it to three shots yet, but they did change the definition of vaccinated. Yeah, they I changed guess. that. But they are, they they are having internal discussions right now about changing the definition of fully vaccinated from two shots to three shots. Mm-hmm. Was it Italy that did that? I think the, Italy didn't. The question in my mind, because we've talked about the fact that the third the third shot doesn't do anything magical. No, okay. it just it, it just it gives you another six, six months. months. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so my Kicks question the is, can down the road is what are, it does. are they going to have the balls six months from now, five months from now, more realistically to say, yes, now you need a fourth shot. Yes, they have. The, yes, that's coming. And, yes. and following that decision shortly thereafter saying, well, we're going to change the definition of fully vaccinated to four shots. I don't think they'll ever change the definition of fully vaccinated. I think it'll become an annual vaccination. Mm. I think or semi-annual or semi-annual depending on their their waning definition or the amount that it's efficacious over time don't get me wrong I feel there's a couple things that couch this conversation in first is I think that the vaccine I initially was against it I was really against the vaccine um, but I'm not against the vaccine in its entirety anymore I'm against the vaccine for a certain subset of the population I don't think 
kids need it. I don't think people under 18 need this vaccine. I think it's stupid. Vaccinate the shit out of the 60 to 90 year olds or 60 and above. Vaccinate all of them. I think it's beneficial for them, you know, but I don't think so. I, to be clear, I don't think we've truly viewed this as the disease it is. We are applying to every person equally the same treatment. Absolutely. Instead of differentiating between age groups and high risk groups. I mean, the kids that have died all had some comorbidity, cancer, leukemia, serious comorbidities too. Yeah, not like they were obese. I mean, there there's been obese kids that have recovered from COVID. I'm saying the kids that died from COVID had probably wouldn't have died from COVID. They would have died from the other disease that was killing them. Yes. Anyway, of the 450 or whatever the number is now, I don't remember what it is. 450 last I thought. 458. It's in that ballpark. Yeah. So. I'm just saying we when we when I talk about vaccines, like my dad asked me, should by, I get? By the, the way, vaccine? if I can interrupt for yeah, one yeah, second, yeah, yeah. Um, seventy-four million children. Yes, that, that well, I don't like the word children. Uh, seventy-four million people are under the age of eighteen in this country. How's that? Seventeen, okay. seventeen and below. Yeah, seventy-four yeah. million. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So anybody who's sitting at home can do the math. Um, all you have to do is take four hundred and fifty and divide it by seventy-four million. <laughs> Three hundred thirty million U.S. <laughs> and, and residents, then, and then carry the decimal point two points to the right, <laughs> <laughs> right. and uh, then you will have the fraction of one percent. I mean, it's so small. It's, it's such so a small number, tiny. But those people didn't die from COVID. They died from their comorbidities. Yeah. And so on, there's zero. And honestly, you know, if if you were to suddenly, if we could just wave our magic wand. And and vaccinate that 74 million. Um, if anyone without com- comorbidities, anyone, even one, dies of something like myocarditis, mm-hmm. uh, I, I know that the, the companies cannot be sued at this point, <laughs> uh, but there's just no, no excuse, zero. If just one child without a comorbidity, right. that's one child more than would have died without the vaccine. Well, and see, that's what I'm saying, is that if if we're not treating people based on the risk group or risk factor or where they fit in the risk profile, then we are doing a disservice to society. Like I constantly am describing risk and reward benefit to a patient. So if a patient comes in and they've got chest pain and we do a stress test on the patient and they show a positive stress test and they show the need for us to go look, right? We now need to do an angio. So I have to get an interventional cardiologist involved in a discussion about going in and doing an angio. That's not a zero risk procedure. It's a low risk procedure because there's so many of them done, but it's not zero risk. So I need to have this conversation with the patient and I need to say, and so will the interventional cardiologist. There will be multiple conversations before we just go stabbing them in the leg and running a wire up into their heart to see if they got a clot. Okay. We're not doing that. We're going to have a conversation with this person, but it's based on risk. So why can I not have the same conversation based on the vaccine? Yeah. what It's risk-based, right? So if you're 75 years old, like my father came to me, he goes, should I get the vaccine? I'm like, I don't know, dad. What do you think? You're not around a lot of people. You don't go a lot of places. Does he have any comorbidities? He has. He's obese, you know, but which is a big comorbidity in this disease process at his age, but 80%, he, 80% hospitalizations are obese. Correct. But he doesn't have anything else. Like he, he doesn't smoke. He doesn't have lung cancer. He doesn't have diabetes. He doesn't have like, there's nothing else. Okay. So I told him, I said, look, you probably benefit from it, but you don't have to get it. It's up to you. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you to run out and get it. Cause I think you're going to die from COVID. Right. I don't think that on the flip side, I'm not going to tell you, to not get it. This is something you need to weigh for yourself. I can't, you know, I initially told him I probably wouldn't get it if I were you. That was initially. Mm-hmm. And then I told him later, I'm like, eh, maybe you could, we'll see. He ended up doing it. He's fine. Whatever. No big deal. Yeah. The so, myocarditis thing scares the shit out of me though for kids. Cause yeah. I have, I have little kids. My son is nine. I'm not giving him this fucking vaccine. I wouldn't. He is six to 10 times more likely to develop myocarditis if he receives this vaccine than if he doesn't. Yeah. And if he doesn't, the risk of myocarditis is like nil, next to zero. Right. right. So granted, the next to zero times 10 is still next, but it's 10 times more. Yeah. Why put the risk there when he has zero risk of dying from COVID? Exactly. Exactly. 
Yeah. So I hear what you're saying that uh, you think that your objection to the vaccine is more along the lines of it hasn't been tailored um, as, as policy. It hasn't been tailored to the parties that need it. And there hasn't been early on. It was early on. It was like in the beginning. It was like, okay, well, give it to all the old people. Yeah. Well, because the, or the high risk people, because it wasn't generally available. Yes. Correct. At every corner drugstore. So my objection to the vaccine my objection is the mandate period. But anyway, yeah. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's a different subject. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm just speaking, you know, as far as just looking at it as, as, a, as you call it a therapeutic, right. Uh, using the name vaccine. Yeah. Right. My objection is the lack of transparency from the pharmaceutical industry, from the pharmaceutical co- co- uh, industry, from uh, the CDC, from the National Institutes of Health, from the White House, and, and I'm not, I'm not making political statement with that. Um, it, it's just, you know, we're supposed to be a nation, you know, by and for the people, yeah. um, and. What's happening now is the people, there is no transparency because the most important thing is not that the people be apprised of the facts. The most important thing is that Big Pharma makes another $61 billion. Right. You know, that's the important thing. Um, we've talked about it. We've covered, you and I have covered a tremendous amount of ground today. Yes. And I'm going to guess that uh, both members of your audience and members of my audience uh, learned quite a bit today that they didn't previously know. I would think so. Um, and they they should have been told this by, if no one else, public health officials. Not well. So really quick, let's talk about that for just a second because public health officials annoy the living shit out of me. <laughs> I'm with you. Public health officials have a degree in information gathering and information like delivery. They've never fucking treated a patient ever. Yeah. Not one that I can see public health official that's prominent during this whole COVID epidemic, including Fauci, physically treated a patient in the last 40 years. Yeah. So unless you sat in front of a bunch of people and had to explain to the patient one-on-one what they need and then listen to them say no or listen to them argue with you or listen to them debate you on why your ideology is correct or why your method of treatment is better than their perception of what Google fucking told them, then I don't think these people have a leg to stand on. So they're creating policy based on a study of hundred people or a thousand people or whatever. And they're creating it for everyone. They haven't created it for individuals or looked at the differences between like, okay, so nurses, nurses, for instance, were the saviors of the world because they were working without a vaccine and they were taking care of COVID patients. Well, most of those nurses got fucking COVID people. Mm -hmm. They all got COVID and they're sick and they got better and they went back to work. And now they have prior infection immunity. Prior infection immunity. Some hospitals, in fact, asked the COVID positive nurses who were feeling good enough to work to come back and work in the COVID unit. Israel was doing that early on. Yes. Yes. So wait a minute. Now they're fucking evil because they won't get a vaccine. Oh, it should be terminated. Terminate them. We're going to fire them for not getting vaccinated. Yeah. But it makes no sense. And when we talk about public health officials, you're right. That that's probably was not, not a prudent use of a phrase on my part because they're (laughs) the, they come everywhere from you know very high end prestigious knowledgeable people like uh, DeSantis just appointed uh, Joseph Ladapo. He's, yeah, he's great dude. Yeah, super smart. But listen to the way he's speaking; it's yeah. much more rational, and it comes off as knowledgeable, yeah. not as dictatorial. Absolutely, that's a different conversation. When someone comes at me and they're dictatorial or they're you know uh, grandiose in their guidelines because they don't really have an answer, but they're going to yell at you louder till they give you until you accept their answer or they're going to punish you some, or they're going to punish you. So that's not, that's coercion. That's not me choosing. Oh, you don't, you don't get to go to dinner. You can't eat food at a restaurant. You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything without a vaccine passport in New York. It's so bad in Australia. Oh, I don't, I'm scared for Australia. I'm really worried about them. I had a, uh, uh, somebody who follows my work, who lives down there, uh, dropped me an email and asking me about vaccines. Yes. Um, he's, he's struggling with the issue, um, whether to stand on his principle. And, and his, his issue was this. He said the, in his, where he lives, I forget which state he lives in. Uh-huh. He said the uh, restrictions are so strict 
that he's allowed out of the house for just one hour a day to exercise. Yeah. He, can he can't go, leave so many meters from his house. He, right. He has to be, yeah, within like half a mile or something. Um, he can go to the grocery store, and that's it. He, he, he can't do anything else. And that's a, that's supposed to be a free society. Oh, yes, yes. That's, yes. I mean, I saw a video in the very beginning of the pandemic. He said he can't get his hair cut. Right. He's not allowed to go to a barbershop. That's just weird. Well, we weren't allowed to here either. They shut him down. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Well, it wasn't almost two years into the deal, though. I mean, no, it was, it was, it was last year. Yeah. They shut down all the barbershops. You sure. couldn't go get a haircut. Yeah. I was still getting a haircut. But we knew, but we didn't know, guy who knew we didn't guy. know anywhere near as much about SARS-CoV-2 as we do today. Correct. So, so today, if we shut them down, that would just be draconian. Yeah, yeah it's tyrannical, yeah, but, which is what's going on. But China, Australia. China, they were welding people in their fucking houses. Did really? you see the video of I that? I did not. They were physically welding steel doors to the steel jams. Well, I'm glad that Australia sees itself as being... Just, more Chinese, more... more. <laughs> yeah, just a bit more free than China. <laughs> slightly. Yeah. Well, people were lowering their dogs from like sixth floor apartments with bed sheets tied to the dog's collar so he could pee, and then lifting the dog back up into the apartment complex. Wow. Because you couldn't get out of your apartment complex. That's insane. So when we say that this is a free society... It's very concerning to me that we're no longer allowed to make decisions for ourselves. And why Why do I not have to... Exp- I mean, don't get me wrong. Hospitals have m- had mandates for everything. I have, I have a list, a laundry list of things I have to prove that I've been vaccinated against or I have to sign all these exceptions or sign all this stuff. I have to prove that I've had chicken pox. So I have to go get a tighter because I don't have a chickenpox vaccine. I'm 45 years old. I went to a party with an ugly girl that had chickenpox, and my mom sent me down the road and to give me chickenpox. That's what we did back in the 80s. We all got fucking chickenpox. So I've recovered from chickenpox. I have to prove that I have enough immunity to chickenpox. I don't have to get a vaccine. We don't do that for COVID. Just go get vaccinated. There's no proof that you've, even if you've had it, you can't go get a titer that says, oh, look, I've had COVID and I have immunity. Yeah. The the establishment, as you well know, um, has absolutely refused to consider prior infection immunity. Yeah. Which despite, is the newest thing in the world. Despite all the data that it is dramatically um, more impactive. Yeah. And it is more durable. Right. Okay. This, we could, and we've talked about the memory T cells and all that. Right. Um, despite that fact, and I think if there's one thing that indicts the establishment that shows that they're all about the money and not about the health, it's that there is absolutely no discussion about prior infection immunity. It's about get the jab or fuck you. Right. Okay. Well, the problem is, is that I think, I told you this before the podcast started, I think the average person had a very large view and a high respect for the CDC in a high respect for the NIH prior to February, 2020. prior to February 2020. <laughs> I believe that that respect and that admiration and that feeling of knowledge that they possess has declined by the month. Yeah. And every time they come out with some new dictatorial or new guidance that People who are thinking rationally about this are like, no, that's not, that's not normal. Why would we do that? My, my joke the other day was if in the beginning of the pandemic, if they said, stick your thumb up your butt, that'll save you from COVID. Bury your thumb knuckle deep into your butt, all the way up your butthole, bury it in there. You're going to be safe from COVID. And half the people don't and half the people do. And the people that do, that don't get COVID, they're going to live their lives with their finger in their butt thinking that that's helping them. Yeah, that's why they didn't, that's get, why they yeah. didn't get COVID, because they stuck their thumb in their butt. They're going to walk around with their hand buried in their butt, when in reality it did nothing for them. But if that's what the CDC had told them, yeah. they would have done it. So there's a, uh, speaking of prior infection immunity, there mm-hmm. is a video that's out there, and I forget the legislator's name, which is really annoying me right now. Um, <laughs> I, know, I, I, I believe he's from Louisiana. Um, okay. I think his first name is Bill. I'm, I'm, my brain is putting this together very slowly. Um, and he was questioning um, CDC Director Walensky. Okay. And he was specifically wanted to know why prior infection immunity was not part of the equation. How dare you? You know, even one of the board members of Pfizer 
went public and said prior infection immunity should be part of the discussion about whether, whether or not to be vaccinated. Um, and so this legislator was asking Director Walensky um, why that wasn't part of the discussion. Yeah. And she was like, well, we don't have the data, which is, of course, absurd. Um, they are data funnel. <laughs> they are they're all, data vacuum. They're Excuse all me. data. That's all they do is data. She might not have it in front of her. She may not know it off the top of her head, yeah. but the data is available. Uh, no, yeah. And she wasn't saying, I don't have that for you today. She was saying, she means, I don't, don't have it at all. We, we don't have it. Right. And of course, she was trying to BS him, but she couldn't because he's an MD. Ah, you know, kind of, nice. And, and he was saying, okay, so. It's like the Rand Paul Fauci conversation. Yeah. And he was saying, so, you know, if you have some concerns about doing this retrospectively, do it prospectively, because it won't take us very long to get the the, the data. Right. Okay. And she starts talking about, well, you know, there's going to there's gonna be bias. Okay. And she, she probably threw out, in, in answering this question, around she, it. she probably threw out um, research bias about, like, well, we do that, but that research would be biased. She probably threw that out about three times. Okay. Okay. So, first of all, you know this. There is no such thing as bias-free research. You, you try to reduce bias to the, the smallest possible extent. But the world is a big place. Uh, there are a lot of different factors involved. Yeah. Um, you, you can't control for all of them. But people who do the research come in with a perceived bias to start the research. That's why they're doing it. Yes, yes. Um, you come in with a, an opinion about how it's going to work, and you're there to either prove your opinion right or wrong. Yeah. Um, so she threw that out about three times. And then I, I don't know if you... Hypothesis. I, I know you're a very busy guy, um, but I, I actually read... Um, I'm illiterate. I don't know. I'm my <laughs> I actually read some of the um, studies. It, the audience can't see. That's in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> right. That the CDC puts out. Okay. Um, their studies clearly, I mean, to use the word bias would be a gross understatement. They, they clearly <laughs> began with a conclusion that, they were, that was dictated to them by executives at CDC. Right. This is what we want the results to be because this is the, the messaging. And then they tailored it to fit This that is narrative. the messaging we want the public to get. And then the researchers went out and used the most absurd mechanisms that no valid researcher could respect in, in order to cook up headlines that say, you know, a CDC research paper suggests blah, 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 or proves blah, blah, blah. It, it does, it's nonsense. So my point being this, CDC is one of the most biased organizations, at, at least in terms of SARS-CoV-2. Uh, it is one of the most biased research organizations that I've come across in the last 22 months. So for Walensky to claim that they can't, she, that CDC can't do the research that the legislature was asking for because of potential bias is is obviously nonsense. Uh, CDC is incredibly biased. So <laughs> she just doesn't want to give him the data. When I, when I look at her uh, attempts at deflection um, in in not giving a, any even remotely credible answer to the legislator. Um, and in his questions about prior infection immunity, um, it dovetails with what I believed for a long time, which is that CDC and NIH absolutely do not want to look at prior infection immunity because an objective analysis, one that can be peer-reviewed as an example, <laughs> right. okay, um, an, ex- an objective analysis, objective research would show, uh, as we've seen out of Israel, that prior infection immunity is dramatically better and more durable than anything provided by the vaccines. And that's before we get into a discussion about whether or not the vaccines activate production of T cells. <laughs> We're just talking about neutralizing antibodies on their face. Right. Yeah. So the, the the Uber basics. We're not even getting into the yeah. functionality of it. And then I've heard people say things like, Well, it it's a lot harder to prove uh if you've had SARS CoV two. Okay, so first of all, how many people have had PCR testing? So the people who had PCR testing and came up positive, they all they have to do is here's here's my thing from ten months ago. I came up positive, I've had it. Yeah. Um uh, furthermore, um people like me who didn't know that you have or haven't. Yeah, apparently I was asymptomatic. Um, the government is spending at least billions, if not trillions, on the um, on, on this whole event, right? Yes. The whole SARS-CoV-2 event. 
Well, it's been uh, trillions because they gave out trillions to businesses. Yeah. So, the, so if somebody wants to claim prior infection immunity, but they don't have any evidence of that, the government can simply do what's doing everything else, which is paying for everything and pay for people to go to have that SARS-CoV-2 specific memory T-cell test. Right. That same one I paid for, right? Right. So the government can pick up the tab for that. Yeah. And, and so you check antibodies. Yeah. So when the results come back positive, um, the companies that are doing the test, they can give you an officially government sanctioned approval card or result card. So when you go to a concert or when you go to a restaurant in California, <laughs> right. um, you can present your, your prior infection immunity but, card. But I think that's that turns into oh, I'm, I'm not to be wearing a yellow fucking star yeah that i'm not says saying I'm i want Jewish. to i'm not saying i think any of this is right no no no. but it highlights that there's there's two ways to be immune it, it and they're, can't, they're only considering right. one of the two it, it can be that could be a way for medical staff to prove immunity without needing to get a vaccine yeah absolutely because don't get me wrong like they they ask for a ton of shit when you get approved to work in a facility. I mean, I don't think the average person understands that most nurses and doctors and nurse practitioners like myself or PAs or whoever, like we've been poked and prodded more than you want to believe. Just, I mean, almost like the military, you go in the military, they're just going to start poking you with a bunch of stuff when you go into the military. If you're going overseas, for sure. If you're going overseas, you're going to have a bunch of vaccines and a whole bunch of different things that you never had before. And if you go to different continents, it's a whole new set each time. <laughs> Every time. So that's the norm. And when you're when you're in the U.S. and you're going to work at a hospital or a long-term care facility to get credentialed, they're going to say, have you had this series of vaccines? Are you Have you ever had TB? We need to have a TB. Like, annually I have to get a TB test see if I've been exposed to tuberculosis every year. Right. Get a quantifying blood test because I hate the two-step. Two-step, you got to go do it twice. <laughs> I'm busy. I got shit to do. Right, I'll right, get a right, blood right. test and five days later they'll tell me if I've never been exposed or whatever. So I have to do this. I have to go get a flu vaccine. They make you get a flu vaccine because if you don't get a flu vaccine, you have to wear a mask all the time, which is ironic because everyone's wearing a mask anyway, so you don't need it, but it's easier just to get it and shut up and not worry about it. Yeah. I've said that for years, and the average person that goes to the hospital is fine. What we're pissed off about is the the mandate being only one only one way. It's only the vaccine. That's it. And then we know that the vaccine wanes. We know that it doesn't work. We know that people still get sick. They call it breakthrough infection. Well, bullshit. It's not breakthrough. It's not breakthrough. It just didn't fucking work. Yeah. And we talked about this a little bit before we started the show. There's other questions when we talk about these memory T cells, such as, um, <clears throat> does the partial signature that's that's garnered from just the S protein spike, um, does it in some way impair the immune process from creating memory T cells upon post-vaccination infection by the wild virus. Oh, right. So if you've been vaccinated and then you get sick. Will you develop memory T cells? Now, by the way, all these questions that I pose, such as this, uh, the uh, the other question is, um, if you originally were infected with the wild virus, your body created memory T cells and then you get vaccinated. Does it somehow inhibit or stop or slow down or yeah. Yeah. The response, right. So affected function of Yeah. There's all sorts of questions. Yes. Um, There's not being either researched or answered as far as I know. Well, here's the thing. The might be being researched. I just don't know that it's being done. Yeah. Um, We talked about the uh, MHC two peptide, uh, tetramar staining technology that, mm-hmm. that actually identifies the um, the peptide complexes within the memory T cells. There's no way to find a memory T cell, right. um, but post infection, if you're looking for the uh, the peptide complexes, the only place you'll find them, the only place they're stored, is in memory T cells. So if you find them, they're in the memory. T you cell. you know there are memory T cells, right? Right. That's why they they use the tetramar staining technology. So. My point is that these things are not difficult to ascertain, and CDC and NIH has all the data in the world. So if they're not looking at these questions, it's because, in my opinion, if they're not looking at these questions, which they're not, it's because they don't want the answers. Or because informally, in closed meetings, they already have the answers. Right. So to to announce publicly, we're looking at this issue, um, 
then they'd have to come up with an answer, and then they'd have to provide the science, and then people could could determine whether the science is credible. They don't even want to go there. Right. Uh, one of the things I saw a headline the other day that said that the National Institutes of Health is initiating um, a study to see the long-term effects of COVID-19 on uh, women who are pregnant. Yeah. But guess what they're not doing? There's no study on the long-term effects to a pregnant woman who's vaccinated. <laughs> it's only to a woman who actually got infected by the wild virus. So it's like there's women who don't want to get vaccinated because I understand that they don't want to negatively or potentially negatively affect their pregnancy. Absolutely. It's already everything's at risk anyway. And we don't know. And we don't know. So they don't want to get it. And then they're being they're losing their jobs. There are no long term studies. I mean, that's another, in my in my opinion, criminal aspect of these mandates. There are no long term studies. Did you hear what the CDC? uh, Well, there's a group of bunch of. Um, Although there's 247 million Americans who are now participating in a long-term study. Correct. <laughs> but we don't have any long-term studies. We don't have any long-term studies. Well, they started it. <laughs> we haven't completed it. Yeah. Um, but the one one of the the groups of people who were giving guidance on kids getting vaccinated said, well, we won't know until we give the vaccine. Oh. That's what they said in an I- open forum. Which is true, yet scary at the same time. And that's the entire, I think that's a a great way to, that statement, which was insane, um, speaks to the entire mindset of these mRNA vaccines since since somebody said, oh, a pandemic. Well, there was a thousand, I think it was 1147, that's numbers weird, that's why it's stuck in my head kids who were initially enrolled in the initial trials with uh, Pfizer, 1147. But none of those kids had any comorbidities. None of those kids uh, had any other issues. I mean, it was like they were perfectly healthy children enrolled in the study. Have you seen the Pfizer commercial to to encourage children to get vaccinated? The one that they just did for... The superheroes? I didn't see the superhero one, but I know that Bugs Bunny, not Bugs Bunny, uh, the Big Bird just on Sesame Street just got his vaccine and the president and Everybody was like congratulating him on his vaccine. He, I'll tell you the one. They were tweeted his arm was a little sore. The they, they've got these kids trying to convince other kids that getting vaccinated makes them superheroes. Jesus Christ. Um, so Who's you, the first to jump off a building? Yeah. So you know I'm non-religious. Right. And uh, Hitchens, who was one of the great all-time um, expositors on atheism, mm-hmm. um, he said that we'd have an entirely different world if children were not presented with any religious concepts until they had reached the age of reason. Okay. okay. Uh, that's how I see this Pfizer commercial. <laughs> okay. You, you've got like eight-year-olds putting peer pressure on other eight-year-olds yeah. and telling them you will become a superhero if you get this shot. That's just insane. For which no long-term studies exist and concerning something that will never harm you <laughs> if, if you are comorbidity-free. It will never harm you. That's it's sickening to me because they're not supposed to market to kids. They're not supposed to market anything to kids. Yet this is being marketed to kids as if it's Tic Tacs and shit. You can't even market cigarettes to adults. <laughs> I know, I know, right? <laughs> There's no more Marlboro Man. There's right, no more right, Joe right. Camel. None of that's available. But anymore. you can you can market to children something that has no long term studies and and could potentially cause them more problems yes yes has been shown in numerous studies to cause more problems my theory on the whole myocarditis thing is that it's because of the way it's being injected this is my complete hypothesis but if they're injecting intramuscularly there's always a vasculature through the muscle in some form they're not aspirating they're not aspirating so my fear is that because they haven't aspirated the needle they're just poking in and jabbing because that changed in the last five years. It used to be you aspirate every time. And yes. us old school dudes and female nurses, we ask, we still do it. We still aspirate. But the new crop is not because they're not taught that way. So well, ja- jab and push, right? So if you push into a vessel, yeah. be it an artery or a vein, I think that's where the myocarditis is coming from. Absolutely. And there's evidence of that. There's a, a, a retired MD out of the UK okay. 
Um, he's he's pretty much an establishment wonk. Um, <laughs> but every once in a while, I mean, there there are things the establishment says rarely that are, mm-hmm. are that are factually accurate. Right. Okay? And and one of them is the aspiration issue. And there's a study I forget he, he talked about it. I've but I I received so much data. You know, people send yeah. me shit all the time. Um, I feel like I'm reading 20 studies a day. I, I know that's an <laughs> exaggeration, but that's how I feel. And. Uh, there was actually a study done where they tracked down where they were finding the spike proteins. Oh. Okay. Because, right, it's supposed to have adhesion. Right? Yes. Yes. Okay, it's supposed to stay where you put it. Yes. Um, but they actually proved that it's moving by intentional, not, not in humans, intentionally <laughs> injecting the mRNA vaccine uh, intravenously. Right. In the mice models or whatever. Yeah. They actually found the spike proteins in all the organs and massive inflammation. So yes, you're absolutely spot on when there's no asp- when they don't aspirate. Um, and if it, as you say, I mean, it, we know that's a rare occurrence. And Correct. If you take a look at a thousand in, intramuscular injections, who knows how many? Uh, ten maybe. Yeah. Let's call it ten. But yes, for round numbers. But yes, that's where the spike proteins. 1%. Get loose. There's no adhesion. Right. They're now in the red blood cells. Correct. Floating around the whole body. Yeah. Ready ready to inflame and infuriate any potential organ that it comes in contact with. And the heart just, because of the ACE2 response, it's going to affect the lungs and the heart. Yeah. Because that's where the ACE2 receptors are sitting. And you know, the funny thing about myocarditis is, as you well know, being in the cardiology field, um, it's very common. It just... It, in anybody who has a viral infection, mm-hmm. but normally it's so minor the person never even realizes they have it. In the six weeks, it's gone. Correct. So, but the the kind of myocarditis we're seeing today is something entirely different. The other thing that concerns me is that we're injecting young people between the ages of eighteen and forty, mm-hmm. and they're dying when they're under high levels of physical stress. Yes, that's soccer players. Yeah, there's something going on. Football players, something's going on. There's a high level of physical exertion associated because they're not dying at home. They're dying on the fucking fields. Yes. The soccer fields while they're playing. They're dying. They're getting sick and dying after their heart rates, you know, exceeded their norm. Which is a whole new form of myocarditis in a sense. Right, exactly. So why is that happening? Because generally no one dies yeah. Those young people are healthy, they're exercising, they're eating well, they're doing all the things they need to do. They're professional athletes. And boom. And then they're dead. And when one person dies, we're like, oh, that's sad. When two people die, we're like, holy cow, that's crazy. When you got three, four, five of them. Something's going on. Something's happening. That's not normal. That's an abnormal change. And what's the change? Like you and I have talked about food numerous times and how it's negative. The Ansel Keys reference, people should understand Ansel Keys ruined the world because he thought <laughs> sugar was good for you. But anyway, ruined the world right off. He did ruin the world. So, because if you look back at pictures of the 70s and 80s at the beach, everyone was thin and you look there now and they're all fat. Yeah. So, whatever. I'm saying that this could be ruining people in that age group that don't necessarily need the vaccine right it's putting them at high risk but we haven't studied the effects of high levels of physical stress no on people so why are they dying and traditional myocarditis um, let's say in an 18 year old that's the one change across the board is everyone's getting the vaccine yeah so the typical myocarditis that existed prior to mRNA vaccines, uh, you'd get a virus. There would be some heart inflammation, usually very minor. But even if they had a modest case of myocarditis, not not a slight, but a modest case, um, they would be a little short of breath. They'd be they'd have a little energy issue, um, and so the doctor would say, "Well, take it easy for another four weeks." You know, mm-hmm. don't go um, but so there was there was sort of that uh, governor in place, and that they didn't feel right. Correct. Okay. So, but you're right with what's going on now with the mRNA vaccines. They seem to feel fine yeah. until the moment they drop dead. Right. Which is not the myocarditis we've known. There was a there's a young man who was infected not because of the vaccine. This was prior to COVID in the hospital. A young guy. He was cat scratch fever. The straight up song he got scratched by a cat. He got really sick, developed severe myocarditis, and we had to life flight him out to a heart transplant center. Wow. Because he could not, like, we could barely keep him going. He needed a transplant because of the infection was so bad. So I'm not saying that it's not happening or didn't happen prior to the vaccine. It just happened differently. 
happened differently and it happened, you know, generally it happened rarely. Very rarely. Yeah. This and serious myocarditis is like incredibly rare. Correct. Prior to mRNA vaccines. Correct. This, even though let's say five people this happened to with the mRNA vaccine and it only happened to one person, you're going to say, Oh, well it's only five. Well, that's a 500% leap. Yes. Percentage wise. That's a lot. Yeah. And we should be looking at it from that perspective. Not that it's five out of a million people or whatever. I'm saying it's, or five out of 75 million people. I'm saying it's one to five. Like that's a big leap. Yeah. 500% jump. Yeah. I mean, if it was, if we go back to the percentages, if it was a hundred people and now it's 5,000 people or whatever, you're talking a, a big jump, you know? Yeah. So society needs to realize that we're, we're in a pro, we have a problem here that we're not investigating, that we're just dismissing as, oh, it's just weird. It's just weird. Anything, and we've covered a lot of question marks here today, anything that might tend to, the, the results of which, um, any research, which the results of which might tend to cause people to disfavor vaccination, the research is not being done. How no. grossly irresponsible of that. We want the right. fucking money, so we're not going to do this research until all of you, until after you've all gotten right. the jab. Right. I think the Tuskegee Airmen could probably <laughs> talk about this whole situation. <laughs> Just yeah. throwing it out there as uh, a potential. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just insane. Well, thanks for talking with me today, Dave. It's yeah, been, we have beat this to death. I love it, though, yeah. because we finally got a chance to chat, man. We never do that, so that's good. And that's great. I mean, All right. Yeah, just the opportunity to sit and, and chat with you long term. Right. Get that to, uh, often enough. So if anyone needs to get a hold of me, you can reach me at medicallyunbiased.com. You can email me and uh, we'll chat later. And if Dave, how do they reach you? Okay, so you can always go to drreality.news, which is drreality.news. Um, you can contact me there. You can look at my books there. Um, if you want to go directly to my email, it's dave at drreality. Did I say .com? .news. .news. You said .com. <laughs> I said .com because mine's a .com. Right? Okay, so reality.news. And if you want to go directly to me, it's at dave at drreality.news. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. You've been listening to Medically Unbiased. Visit our website at medicallyunbiased.com. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Medically Unbiased. Listening to this podcast does not create a doctor-patient relationship. The Medically Unbiased podcast is for general information purposes only. Thanks for listening.